They're sick as fuck. Welcome to the Mouthpiece, episode 12, year one. It's World Series of Poker time. Today, we have two guests. One, my good friend, Eric Rowig, and also an interview with Kevin Kevmath. So stay tuned, buckle up, here on the Mouthpiece. All right, welcome to the Mouthpiece, episode 12. I'm not going to really talk much because I'm really busy. If you want to know what's going on with me at the World Series, go to my YouTube channel, Mike the Mouth, and you'll have daily video vlogs, what's going on with each tournament I play. Also... I think there's only 5 or 10%. The most there is is 10% in any tournament left. So if you still want to buy pieces of me um, in these 10Ks, go to ustake.com. That's ustake.com. See if I have anything left uh, available. Uh, the 10K Omaha 8 tomorrow is definitely sold out. It's been sold out for two weeks. And I'm almost sold out of everything. So take a look, buy yourself a small piece, enjoy this week's segment on the mouthpiece with my friend Eric and my friend Kevin Kevin. Enjoy. The mouthpiece. If you'd like to take part in our phone call segment, you can give us a call at 702-329-04. Eight zero, And if you're a snowflake or a pussy and you don't want to talk to me, you can email me at mouthpiecepodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow me at the Mouth Mattiso on Twitter for times that our call-in segment will be live. Okay, it's my favorite part of the show where we take your phone calls. This week I'm real busy, so I found myself one nice, beautiful phone call. So let's hear what he has to say. Welcome to the mouthpiece, this is Mike. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good, buddy. Who's this? Uh, this is Grant from Pittsburgh. Hey, buddy. What are you doing up at three in the morning from Pittsburgh? Oh, I work till midnight, so I'm just hanging on, just uh, following some of the World Series uh, the events, catching up on some of the updates. Yeah, I know. It's uh, look tomorrow will be uh, the end of uh, week one of the World Series. I've only, I've only actually played two events. Um, uh, I made it deep into day three of the first one, and then I got kind of screwed on day two the other day. So I yeah, I saw your I saw your deep uh, your deep day three run. That was pretty nice though. It's not yeah, a bad way to start out. Yeah, it was great. Week. And I wanted to play the fifteen hundred um, uh, horse today, but. They, they run it the day before my best event, the 10K08. So I took another day off. So after today, then I play the 08 tomorrow. Then it'll just be, I'll just be turn every day, every day. And, but I do have a rule that if I go deep into day three, I take the next day off no matter what. And that's going oh, to nice. that's that's keep me sharp. Because uh, when you play three straight days, 12-hour days or whatever, it takes a lot out of you. And it's it's good to keep your, uh, you know, with all the meds I'm on and the pain I'm in a lot of times now. I have been pain free for the World Series so far, but um, uh, you know, it's important to me to keep myself sharp. So, 
Absolutely, for sure. Any questions you have for me tonight? Um, I'm trying to learn some more of the mixed games, like uh, preferably Deuce of Seven Low Ball, Single Draw. Okay. Do you have any recommendations of like the best places to uh, get some information mm. on it? Or Well, I was really good at it, and I, I still am good at it, but I don't play it that much. It's actually the, the uh, game that busted me yesterday on day two of the uh, Dealer's Choice. Uh, what's good about No Limit Deuce is... It's a game of position. It's very important. When somebody raises and you call or you re-raise via pat hand or if you have what we call a convertible. A convertible is when, let's say you get dealt deuce, three, four, seven, jack or deuce, three, four, seven, ten or some kind of really good eight draw or really good seven draw. Um, yeah. And then you three bet because you have a pat hand and then the guy four bet jams on you. Okay, now you call. And even when he, some people will four bet jam on a draw and once you call and you're in position, he doesn't know what to do. So a lot of times he'll draw. But if he has a pretty solid hand and he thinks you might be on a draw, he'll stay pat in which way you can now break your convertible your jack yeah or your forces ten. you to draw whereas okay. if he's gonna pat then correct. you then you know to draw where if he draws you know you most likely should pat then at that point correct and the most important thing about no limit deuce is in no limit hold them you have to watch the guy's reaction with his hand pre-flop post-flop turn and river so you have to watch his reaction four times in no limit deuce if they're drawing and you're in position, and even if you're drawing, you don't ever look at your cards. You just stare him right dead in the eye, and you yeah, look. Yeah, to get a read on him. You first. look how he looks at his cards. If you're good at reading people, you know when they've hit or they missed. But when I won the. Uh, no limit deuce in 2008. Now I've also been uh, I've been to that final table three times. Uh, the very key hand I won, I bring it up to Jeff Lissandro, and he thinks I'm crazy or denies it or whatever. But I know what I saw. He had raised, and I had re-raised, and I had a convertible, and he called. Uh, Actually, I didn't have a convertible. We were both drawing, but it was like mm -hmm. blind versus blind. And he called the big raise, and he drew one, and I drew one. And I swear to God on my life, I never looked at my cards. I looked him dead in the eye, and I watched how he looked with sweat, and he's squeezing his cards one at a time. And for a split second, he just like shook his head like, like he missed. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then yep. he fucking bombs it. And I fucking didn't even look at my hand yet. And I fucking <laughs> called. And he said, straight. Oh, and, I, that's and, great. I look, and I looked down and I had an ace. In other words, yeah. in other words, I could have paired top pair. I was drawing, I think, to a smooth seven or an eight. But that made a difference. I knew that something was, he either paired top pair or had a straight but i picked up on this it was just the slightest thing and that hand propelled me to winning the tournament 
I talk about that hand a lot and it's what you see. Now it's no limit deuce when you, you know, get later in the tournament and stuff. It's really important because when you start raising, you don't really want to be calling like all ins on a draw. And a lot of the young kids now they'll, they'll uh, re-raise out of the blinds and you really have to focus on whether they're making a move on you or not. Uh, it's really a great game because you only have to read one street. Remember that. Yeah. You know what I'm it's saying? A lot, a lot of position play and uh, a lot like, of, like you it, said, a, it's lot, a, ter- a lot of reading people it's a, as well. It's a terrible game to play out of position, especially if you are drawing because, yeah. first of all, they're looking at you. They're trying to get a read whether you hit or not. Um, if you check, if you miss or you're a little worried and they bomb it and you don't have a read on them, you know, it's tough to call when you, uh, you're drawing on an eight and you make a queen or a jack or even a 10 on yeah. that. So it's, it's, it's in position. I, I'm, I'm the type of person that, uh, when I never, I'll never re-raise out of position drawing. I will always flat out of position and even if I'm drawing smooth, like do three, four, seven, because I don't, yeah. I don't want to give away my hand that I'm drawing that smooth either. So there's lots yeah, of different ways to do. You could, you could. It's kind of like the way I went broke. I I, I called his two thousand raise with do three six seven. You think he had any clue that I was drawing a seven? You know. No. And uh, I make an eight, but I, I give him respect for the check. And I blame myself for not looking him up and down, which I always do. It was, remember, it's five minutes into the day, too. I had not settled in. After I bet like 6,000, I have 9,000 left, and there's 18 in the pot. I mean, you're just yeah. not folding an eight. I mean, no, it's very tough. It was an 87, too. It's very tough to fold. G- give, you, give you an idea. Uh, Billy Baxter, when he's playing uh, No Limit Deuce with people, they can all bet him a. a thousand dollars and he gives them a hundred to one and anytime you get dealt an eight you get paid a hundred thousand so he gives you an that's to give you an idea what the odds of being dealt an eight are let alone a seven so i yeah i probably the, the true odds being dealt an eight are probably about a hundred fifty billy always gets the best of it but uh <laughs> you know it's a great game uh i i hope hopefully i'm in another tournament deep if not, I'll be playing it this year. Um, it's not as valuable as it used to be because when it used to have 5,000 with unlimited re- rebuys, boy, the pies pulls got big. And now oh, yeah. they got more people and it's a 10,000, but they just added one re-entry last year. So that'll make it a little bit, but even so the prize pool only gets to like 300 for first I mean, it's nothing like it was when it was the unlimited, like when I won five eighty six. No, yeah, with the unlimited rebuys, and, it's definitely going to affect it for sure. And and, and you, all all the players are good players because you're not going to have randoms dump down ten thousand on a game they don't know well. Yeah, um, I think it's hard. You can't learn it at a ten thousand buy, and that's why the, the fifteen hundred yeah. at least is. A yeah, little the fifteen hundred is good. I I hated missing it, but the only reason why I missed it was I just went broke a pot seven versus an eight, five minutes into day two. And they all said, well, go register the no limit dues. I said, maybe I took it wrong. Maybe it was, I was supposed to register the no limit dues. Maybe that's why I went broke and no limit dues. But I was so pissed 
and I went broke and no limit deuce, uh, the way, I mean, how I got cooler, the farthest thing I wanted to do was jump in a no limit deuce tournament where you have to <laughs> yeah, deal with that for another three days. Yeah. Where you have to focus <laughs> and you literally do. I mean, you have every time somebody rate, you have to watch every person and it, it really mm-hmm. is a game of, of reading people. Uh, people think you have to bluff a lot. You don't. When I won that tournament, I, I picked off so many bluffs and I was right every time. All right. I appreciate it. Mike. I, I appreciate the call. Have a safe uh, week and uh, see if I can win a bracelet for you. I'll talk All to you All right. Later. Sounds good, Mike. Good luck the rest of the series, man. You got it. Peace. Bye. All right. Have a good one. Peace. The Mouthpiece. Welcome to The Mouthpiece. Today's guest, a special friend of mine who I get to see once a year at the World Series, Mr. Eric Rodawig. How's it going today, Eric? Hey, Mike. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you on. Um, we're one week into the World Series, and um, I miss you, man. You said you're coming out, what, June 9th? Yeah, I'm coming out Sunday, so uh, I'll be there in time for your bracelet ceremony for ah, the 10K uh, Omaha uh, 8. You heard it. See, he knows. He knows. Yes. And we're looking forward to seeing Eric. Now, for all you who don't know who Eric is, I don't blame you. Most people don't. But to me, he's one of the funnest guys to play with at the World Series of Poker. When I first met Eric, um, whenever he sat at my table, I licked my chops and now when he sits on my table, I only lick half a chop. <laughs> I've gotten better listening to you over the last few years. Yeah. And no, Eric is one of the most improved players. And he used to be a gambler. He used to gamble a lot more than, and then he realized, you know, I got to reel it in a little bit. And, uh, He's uh, made some final tables. He, I don't think he's... You, you haven't won a bracelet yet, have you? No, I beat your buddy Phil. Heads up. Oh, yeah. 2011 10K stud eight. Yes. How can I forget? <laughs> That's you were right. I was there. And I made fun of Phil for like three days because of it. Because I'm like, how could you lose to Eric head up? I'm like... Do you know what a goofball he is? And of course, you know, anytime you rub it in the Phil's face, it's always fun. Yes, I do remember that. And then I remember you were head up uh, also in study eight against Benny Glazer, right? Or is that against Andy? No, I was. You were head no, up against up Block, the, right? Yeah, uh, 2017 10K horse with David Bach. Yeah. David Bach, correct. Yeah. yeah. He, he won every hand heads up, unfortunately. So that didn't yeah. last very long. Let's but, talk. Um, well, well, let's talk a little bit about that final table. That was a that was a pretty stacked final table. Um, Jason Mercier and Daniel came in the final six with all the chips. They had like one point six million each. Um, what did you start that final table with? Do you remember? Oh, geez, I, I started the day with a. I think I was eleventh of thirteen to mm-hmm. make it into day three. Um, I didn't have a ton of chips to start the final table. Maybe. 700 or a million. Okay. So I, I like to talk a little bit about this tournament because uh, this tournament I actually talk a lot about because that was uh, two years ago when five people literally won a bracelet that had one big bet or less. 
And unfortunately for you, one of them was David Bach, who was all in in the stud or stud eight for the ante, 40,000. Daniel had 1.6 still. Mercier had 1.6. And he came back from like a half a bet and ended up winning the tournament. So uh, I'm sure you remember the hand. I wasn't there when he was all in for that 40K because he, he's told me this story many times. What's your recollection of, of that? Well, David's a great player for sure. Um, there were a few people who were all in. Jason Mercier was all in. and um, Somehow he, I think he was all in with a nine, and he ended up running out a wheel uh, against Andrew Brown and I. So, um, <laughs> oh, that's right, was, Andrew Brown was there too. It was, yeah. it was tough to take people out. Um, he won a big hand off Don Zewin. Um, I, I think Bach had kings, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and they ended up holding him down too. And I think he's a pretty tight player too. So, yeah, he's real. He's um, he's tight. He's solid player. Yeah, he's old school. He got third place in it the year before, I believe, in 2016. Mm-hmm. So third place two years in a row in the 10K horse is pretty good. One of the v- very underrated players that nobody really knows much about. I think he's got at least two bracelets. He might have three. I'm not sure. Um, he's old school. We used to play 400, 800 every day together. Um, Don Zewin's not the happiest person. Uh, we used to always joke about back in the day how unhappy he was. We used to say, man, we need to drop an ecstasy tab in one of his drinks and then he'll be a little <laughs> bit more happy. And we all would laugh about it, right? And we're like, let's do it, let's do it. But we never did. But he, he's always nice to me. Uh, he's just, he's not happy at the poker table. Uh, but, but, you know, some people take it. Some people, you know, it's their job. You know, they they take everything seriously. They they don't want to fuck around or joke around. Me in the limit tournaments, as you know, I like to have fun all as much as I can. Um, in the no limit tournaments, and this is what's hurt poker a lot, is because the stacks are so deep. Everybody's gotten so good. You really can't joke around and have fun unless it's like day one of the main, because every single thing you miss could cost you the tournament so that's one thing i like about the limit tournaments now you're going to be out here june 9th uh, what do you plan on playing um i have i think 11 tournaments on the schedule 1500 okay. eight game will be the first one 1500 set eight of course, of course. um 10k horse and then uh head back home I, I i have a job actually which is why i'm not at the world series the whole time so uh, which i know expect- I know you have a job. Well, now, why, don't you, up here now. why don't you tell everybody, um, Mr. I have a job. What, what, what do you do? So I'm uh, so I've always been a semi pro. So I've always been in, in banking and finance. Um, right now I'm the finance director for a fertilizer startup. So oh, we're helping uh, the farmers grow their corn and, hey, uh, you know, and I'm, helping everyone eat. If Trump gets the, uh, that, that, uh, trade deal passed with China, the farmers are going to make a lot of money. Right now they're hurting, but uh, I think he's going to get it done. But we'll see what happens there. You know. Well, yeah, and they're hurting. There's been some bad weather, and there's been a lot of floods in the right. uh, Nebraska in the Midwest. So, um, so we'll see what happens. They could certainly use some help. Yeah, I, I, they definitely could. So I'll let you in a little bit about what's been going on at the World Series. Now, 
I don't know if you're going to like this or not. Like me knowing you, I don't think you're going to like this. So the 1500s, they've added 33% more chips, which sucks. They kept the levels the same, including two level back-to-back levels of 2400 and 25500 whatever and they're not really losing enough players and every 1500 is going 4 days now with the Omaha 8 having a thousand people i didn't mind it like i finished 17th and got 8000 a friend uh, Miami John uh, he finished 13th or 14th today in dealer's choice and got 6600 so i mean four days work and if you finish ninth you get 10 grand it's it's really kind of kind of depressing actually and so i had a schedule of playing a lot of these 1500s uh but i'm not quite sure if i'm going to like today i had to i had to miss the 1500 horse which is i consider either the second or third best tournament of the year uh because somehow some way they put the 10k08 the next day they usually never put mixed game then uh 10k of a mixed game back to back they usually have at least a couple days in between and with the new schedule with them going four days even if I, you're allowed to buy in on day two now in all the 10Ks with approximately 10 big bets, which you know 10 big, or actually it's seven and a half big bets. And you know seven and a half big bets in limit is an eternity. So um, it's, uh, it, even then, like the chances on a horse, if I make it to day three, and day three would normally have 16 players and then play it out. They're now bringing like 40, 45 back on day threes. So kind of, it's kind of sucks. It's a lot of work. And if you don't win, it, it's kind of disappointing. So, Well, I think, I think on that structure it's hard, right? Because they have to balance the, the streaming schedule. So I know mm-hmm. they want a final table to start at the same time every day. Correct. But... For the 1500s, you know, you're going to have recreational players playing those. You're going to have, you know, business people playing those. You know, I don't know how you get people. I mean, you got to take like a whole week off of work if you're going to play 1500, basically. Right. And right. I, I don't think that's conducive to getting, you know. Yeah. And I was really hard. And I was looking at the schedule. We have the Omaha 8 tomorrow. And I, that's always been a four-day tournament. I planned on playing the millionaire maker if, so let's just say Thursday, Friday, and I'm deep in day three, Saturday, uh, I could still late reg it till eight o'clock at night. And if I miss it, I miss it. I'm, I'm not a big deal. Um, and if I do that, then I go to the, what I'll do is I'll play the 10 K no limit deuce. I don't know why that's scheduled for four days. I mean, those things go pretty quick without a re-entry. I think it's one re-entry. Then they got Sunday, the 1500 game mix. Sunday's the eight-game mix, right? And then Monday is the stud eight or better, 1500, okay? And that's a four-day event. 
And so then Tuesday is the 10K horse. So this is like, again, they fucked me by, they made a 1500 horse followed by 08 tomorrow. And then on Monday, they made a 1500 stud eight followed by the 10K horse the next day. I mean, the 1500 stud eight's like the best event of the year. And the 10K horse is probably the second best of the 10Ks. I mean, I can't miss the 1500 stud eight unless I'm I'm in the millionaire maker on day three. It, yeah, the 1500 stud eight is a great tournament. Oh. Uh, it's I'm sure it's it's a tough balancing act. So for someone like me who takes a couple weeks off work, right. I like all these mixed tournaments back to back to back. So you know, if I bust the eight game, then I can hop in the stud eight, and if you know I bust that, I can go play the 10k horse. But you know, everyone but, wants but bigger stacks and deeper levels. But there's a bunch of other people who, you know, can't take three weeks off or you right. get these, you know, side events in the local casinos around the country and people can't play six day ones or a three day tournament. Like they need to play a one day or a two day tournament. So I think it's, I think it's important to, to cater to what everyone wants. So I right. think alluding the, the 1500 to three days, if at all possible is, is good. I mean, if you want to stream it at a certain time, have a feature table. You know, right. from the 10 days go four days. You make day four of a 10K, you're doing pretty well for yeah, yourself. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm fine um, with that. I think that's, that's plus, okay. Plus, you can win 400,000. Now, the study 1500, I think I've never missed it. And I looking at the schedule, I, I if I do buy into it, which I will, like, it's going to be very hard with 10,000 in chips for me to go broke on day one of the stud eight. I mean, you're just, the antes are so small. And yeah, I guess if I start with one, two, three and hit a four and brick off three times in a row out the door I go. But you know, like somebody who plays like me, um, it's gonna be tough to bust day one. So that brings me to day two at two o'clock and the day two horse starts at three. Now, you know, the way it's set up, you could late reg it, and, and which is fine, but the structures are really good to late reg. So you, you could, let's just say, you get 60,000 in chips, and let's just say I make it all the way through day two of the study. We're gonna come back in a day three with like 45 people. And even if I break like very late at night on day two, you're, you could register level 11, which is two 4,000 blinds, four and 8,000 uh, for 90 minutes. Now that's 6,000 around. And again, that's seven and a half big bets. So if you have to register a day two, I got no problem with it with seven and a half bigs because if you really think about it, and I think you'll agree with me, once you get halfway through day two, except for maybe a couple stacks, pretty much the entire tournament's sitting around seven to 10 big bets in limit. You, you agree? I think it's a little bit deeper, maybe like 12, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's there. And maybe because I never had more than 11 in the stud eight and I was like average chips. <laughs> I had, I had seven. I have every confidence you can bust on day one, Mike. You think? 
I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I honestly have only busted the stud eight on day one once. And I, I mean, it was not very happy. But if I do bust it, I'll, I will have uh, the opportunity to play the horse 10K. I just hate missing that 10K horse. It's such a good tournament. God. It's a great tournament. It, know, it, it might be the best limit 10K. I, I, I think it must be. So, and it gets um, a great field, too. It always gets a much, much larger field than the other limit 10Ks. Correct. It does. And that's that's why I don't want to miss it. Now, the two biggest fields in the 10Ks are the horse and the Omaha 8. Um, the stud 8 knock is third. So if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, the 10K mix is horse gets the most, followed by Omaha 8, then the stud 8. So it's definitely a tournament I don't want to miss, one you don't want to miss, which makes I think I think as long as the, the 10Ks, the 10K mixes are generally kind of close to each other, mm-hmm. and I think you probably want the 1500 event before the 10K. Well, that's so what they've done. Well they might go register the 10K. Right. That's what they've done different yeah. this year. Thank God. Remember last year they were running the 10Ks, then running the 1500s, and people were like, you can't do that. You got you to gotta give these people, play the 1500s, let them go on a deep run and say, hey, maybe I could win, and then they jump in the 10K. So at least this year they've put all the small buy-in mixed games before the 10Ks. That's, that was an easy fix. We've been trying to get it fixed for two years, so at least they did that. Anyways, you know, I wanted to uh, see what you thought about the schedule. I want everybody out there to know that Eric is truly one of the most fun people to play at the same table with. Like, if you guys think I'm fun to play with, or you think Daniel's fun to play with, they don't hold the candle to my good friend Eric. He is, um, he's a a funny guy. I very much appreciate that, Mike. And I think... um you know, going back to, to you and Phil, you know, maybe, you know, people who are, are that fun at the table aren't necessarily getting all the credit they deserve. And I, and I don't know that right. maybe you and Phil gave me all the credit in 2011. I right. think, you know, you've talked a lot on the podcast about how not enough people give you credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think that can be a, a good thing at times because all these people are talking about getting logged out of games or they don't get invited to the private games. Right. You know, people want to play with people who who are fun. People want to play with um, people who they think suck. So if you can, you know, do a bit of advertising and well, maybe that's be a, a splashy banker and a, a funny t-shirt, you know, you yeah. might get a little more uh, action than you normally and, would. And, and the thing is is, 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 yeah, and and you do get action because even back before you improved a lot, I, whenever you raised <laughs> I said, oh, he's got nothing. I mean, I, I would call with like a mar, uh, where a marginal hand that I would lay down and like everybody pre-flop. But I said, oh, it's Eric. He, he never has anything. And so that's, you know, that's the thing. You know, you you use your image of, of a little bit splashy and, and a lot of fun. And, and a lot of people don't take you seriously. And that, that gets you paid a lot. You you weren't moving uh, too quickly in 2007, unfortunately, with your injury. But yeah. when uh, in that 10K horse, when Pescatori, uh, two bet his, uh, what, I don't know, King Nine all in, and you see that you're a six all in. And then I cold four you with guys with uh, jacks out of the small blind. I, I don't think you jumped that high out of your chair and uh, yeah. <laughs> got yeah. hurt. So <laughs> you knew I wasn't doing that with air. 
Yeah, that's for sure. So, you know, I just want people to know, you know, you don't always, always don't have to have a professional poker player on here. Eric plays, he plays enough. He enjoys it. He enjoys the game. He has a full-time job. He's, uh, I consider, a great tournament player now. He used to get chips and he'd get so giddy and run around. And we used to always say, oh, Eric's got chips. <laughs> But, you know, we miss you. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. I appreciate you doing this interview. Uh, anything you want to plug for yourself or anything else you want to talk about? Sure. Well, part of those fun T-shirts and uh, happy to give you one. But okay. uh, my friend Andy, uh, who lives in Chicago and just played the 1500 horse today, okay. uh, just relaunched our website, nittykitty.com. So we okay. have a bunch of animal-themed poker shirts. And uh, we spend a lot of time on uh, excruciating details, so uh, they're they're the best we can come up with. So we, yeah, I was we just think people like them, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll be seeing them around the uh, World Series. People, that sounds good. Nittykitty.com. So if you want to get some, cool we'll poker trade you a Nitty Kitty T-shirt for the Mouthpiece Podcast T-shirt. No problem. Yeah, Nitty 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 Kitty fits me just about right. Thank you, Eric. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday, and. Uh, We'll grab dinner and shoot the shit, and we'll go from there, buddy. Thanks, Mike. It was super great being on the podcast. Um, you know, this you do a fantastic job with this, so uh, glad to see you started. Honored to be part of it, and can't wait to see what you'll have coming up. You got it, buddy. Thanks a lot, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. I'll see you soon. All right, bye-bye. The Mouthpiece. This is David Gunslinger Bach, and you're listening to The Mouthpiece. Welcome to The Mouthpiece, Mr. Kev Math. How's it going? I'm doing great, Mike. Yeah, I'm honored to be on the podcast. And we are honored to have you. So it's mutual. Let's start off like this. You know, I've always, I remember when you first started and you kind of worked hard in the poker world to tweet out things, know where people's tournaments are, and, and you do a good job of it. I, wa- I just want to let you know. I've been kind of away from poker since I got injured, and but I still follow your tweets. and your, Everybody tweets and they always say, ask Keb Math, he knows. He knows the structure, he knows this. You know, So that's, that's really good that people respect you in that way. And I do the same. You became known in the poker industry through tweeting all of the best information in the poker world. How did that start? Um, that's a really good question. It was just sort of like, I had sort of been doing this stuff on two plus two, um, mm-hmm. in the early two thousands. Okay. Uh, and it's sort of like, sort of like, it just sort of grew from there. I mean, it was like, I, I found Twitter in 2000. It was, I think just before the 2008. That's why I officially signed up with Twitter. Full, full tilt made me get Twitter when it first came out. I had no idea what it was. They just said, You've got to tweet things out. The next thing you know, I had 100,000 followers. So I was in the height of the poker boom. So, okay, so it started there. You downloaded Twitter in 2007. And uh, where did things go from there? Um, yeah, it was just like, I was just basically, you know, just sort of, I was like, first, like I said, I was sort of doing the same things like I was doing two plus two. People would ask me stuff and I would see threads on two plus two and I would, you know, they had a question, I would answer. And it, um, it kind of, I mean, it was like a very, it was kind of a slow process the first year or so, I think. Right. Um, and it was just, it was like, it was just, I mean, I was just doing my thing. It wasn't like, I was like, I wasn't really trying to do this um, 
you did it for the love of the game is what you did it yes okay. yes yeah. you 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 you've you're explaining it better than i can like yeah. right and it was like i was doing it for the love of the game i mean it was like i was you know i was doing this stuff for for zero and mm-hmm. just like it was like for the love of the game you know i was like i had always been like involved in customer service in my non-poker career so mm-hmm. it's sort of like i was helping people out and i was you know that was my way of of uh of, of my that was my way of being part of the poker community and i was like i did this and it was like you know and the, no one like and i guess we'll get to this at some point it was like no one had ever met no one had at that time no one had ever met me right i wasn't exactly the most i wasn't actually exactly the most outgoing person no uh, i, I and, remember you know, when i first met you even i remember when you worked for for me and criminal chris and we were uh with the deep stacks and uh, mm-hmm. I remember uh, you were. We brought you on to do some things, and uh, you were you were still kind of a, kind of quiet. You know, I can understand mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit on the shyer side. Now it's like everybody knows you, and it's like, and if you know, it must feel good. You know that you've you know cha- help change you as a person. You know, doing what you do. So you know that's always the plus. You know, I I, I think you're a great guy. You know, I'm glad that you've had Thank success you. with this. Um, what what has been your favorite gig in the poker media industry? Uh, I mean, I have to say, I mean, to be honest, it's like the. I mean, I, I like doing the Twitter for the World Series of Poker. I've done this the last four years, and I've had, you know, it's been fun being in that. You know, being in Vegas in the summer. Um, I guess, I guess, you know, the all. I mean, I would say doing. I did Aussie Millions a couple of times mm-hmm. uh, in 2012 and 2000, uh, 2012 2014. That was my. That was really my. I mean. Did you go? You went to Australia to Melbourne. Yes. Yep. They flew me out. They flew me out those how, two years. How beautiful and, uh, is Melbourne? Huh? Isn't it the greatest it, place? It's ever? an incredible. It yeah. is an incredible city. Um, I wish I could have spent more time actually doing the sightseeing stuff, but yeah, you know they were hiring more for the poker. But it was. I mean, you know the people at at Crown. I mean, you should, You know, you certainly know you've been there. Oh man, they treated uh, us so good, man. Oh yeah, they yeah uh, yeah Natasha. Uh, stepping off, she was the one that got me there the, those two years, and she was she was the best. She treated, I mean, she was it was like she bent over backwards for me, and she did that for a lot of the poker players right. when she was working at the Crown. And and the staff, the tournament staff there is amazing. You know, they run. I mean, it's amazing how they can get that. I mean, it's basically Austin Millions is basically a locals event, right? And they can get you know they have they have this, this satellite system that runs like eight months a year. And to get yeah. all these players into you know to play the the Austin Millions well, event. And- when we first started TV poker, the World Poker Tour, um, I've I've said it many times. There was twenty five of us, then fifty of us, then seventy five, and like we're going to Reno, we're going on a cruise. Or, you know, it didn't the World Poker Tour? The it didn't just come out of nowhere. You know, so I I always tell people, you know, how hard I work to build poker. At, the way it is today, how hard you worked as a, to, in the poker media to help where people now, if they want information, they say, tweet Kevin out, he'll, he'll give you the answer. And you've worked hard and put yourself in that position. Um, and I'm one of the, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves, and I've said it before, and the new generation not respecting the players that came before them. Like before, it was 16 tournaments a year on the World Poker Tour and the World Series. Now there's probably 200 tournaments a day somewhere in the globe. <laughs> I mean, I'm not far off, am I? Maybe more? Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's definitely a lot more poker. You know, from 
the start of World Poker Tour, like I said, there's definitely a lot more poker. There's a lot more poker going on around the world than right uh, in the past within the past 15 years or so than there was at the start. Basically, like I mean, I know there's like I know the World Poker Tour sort of feels like they're the ones that kind of started the poker boom, and there's a, there's other group that you know basically the moneymaker win was the official yeah. start of poker boom. I mean, I seem to me it was definitely a combination of the two right. that sort of kicked that kicked everything off, and I mean it's sort of like it's not terrible to kind of share credit in a sense. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, it was like, you know, we're, you know, it's, it's, you know, I know there was, there was a definitely a time when there, there was basically like a war between the world poker tournament world series of poker. I remember when, when like, when Chris Moneymaker made the final table at Bay one one mm-hmm. it was basically, they did, it was like, they didn't mention he was like the world series of poker main event champion. It was just, right. he was just, you know, he, he did this thing and, you know, he's won $2.5 million and, you know, that's it. Well, it, was like, so it wasn't like even recognizing that. One of the things I look back at, and I remember this day vividly, me and Eric Seidel, we went to eat at, a, I think it was a Korean restaurant right down the street from the Horseshoe. And I said, can you believe this? Another idiot's going to win the World Series of Poker. And, I, and I'll never forget, Eric Seidel looked me right in the eye and says, Mike, if this guy wins a World Series of Poker, you are going to be rich beyond your imagination. And you know what? If it wasn't for the other criminal, Ray Bittar, that stole all the money from Full Tilt, um, I would be rich beyond my imagination, just like everyone else got rich at Full Tilt except me. But, you know, that happens. You can't look back at it. But he was right. You know, a guy named Moneymaker. Moneymaker won the... World Series of Poker. I mean, I thought it was a joke. I I didn't know there was a guy who had a last name named Moneymaker. I mean, I was just like, it wasn't the fact that he won his satellite and won the World Series. It was the fact that his last name was Moneymaker. I'll never forget sweating that final table and watching his dad and watching. Uh, it was fun to watch, you know, and it was... It ended up, you know, being really great for poker and, um, you know, great for a lot of people. So touch a little bit about this war uh, on the World Series of Poker and the WPT. I, this is the first thing I knew about it. Um, my editor, Danny, uh, told me he knew about it. Uh, so this is all news to me. So touch, uh, tell me what, what exactly was going on. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, to be honest, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure how much I can actually add to that. I mean, I wasn't really involved. I was more of a poker fan at that point. But you but knew I mean, I you knew there was a war going on, and I didn't. So what was it? Just a competition, uh, or what was it? What was, what was I mean, being said online? To me, I mean, again, as a person who was not, I was more a poker fan. I wasn't really in the poker media in the, in the mid-2000s, right. to be honest. But it was like, but it was like, like I said, like I, would watch, like I, was, I was watching that particular final table where Chris Moneymaker was at, mm-hmm. and just like basically just not, I don't think they mentioned it was just like Chris Moneymaker was just a guy, and you know he won, he won this, he won this big amount of money, and you know it's sort of like, like people give Steve Lipscomb the credit for the, 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 the poker boom, mm-hmm. and like I said, other people like basically said it's like Chris Moneymaker, and like you were mm-hmm. saying, if the guy's name was um, like Tony Smith or something, some generic name, everything would have been different. Have, exactly, I think we would have had the poker only, boom. We would have, but but you know what? We would have had the poker. The WPT would have got a lot more credit. And like, if you listen to my podcast with Mike Sexton, 
we talk, we touch on that a lot, uh, how the World Poker Tour was never given the credit it deserved for the poker boom. The poker boom would have happened anyways. It just wouldn't have gone from 803 players the year Moneymaker won to 2,300 the next year to 5,600 the next year to 7,000 the next year. That's that's what wouldn't have happened. Now, I think the boom would have happened. It would have just took an extra couple of years. That's, all, that's my opinion, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm going to touch on this with you. What are your core ideas how to better promote the game through social media and beyond? Hmm. I mean, that's, that's a good question. I mean, to be honest, it's like I'm, there's definitely times when I'm, you know, when I'm tweeting things and I'm wondering if people actually read my tweets. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big problem that I have is, is I mean, I, I guess I tend to tweet too much, uh, which, can, which can be a problem. I, I don't I, think so. I, I read your tweets. The thing you do probably tweet too much about, but I think it's good because you reach out to all the spectrums from a 10,000 event to a $200 event. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's good if people are following you. You know, I, I, I don't pay attention to any of the small buyer events because I'm not involved, would never play them, but, but I think that's good. I, I, I don't think you really tweet too much, you know. I guess I, I, there's probably ways I could, I could probably be better at social media, like especially on Twitter, because I don't really use any of the other, I don't use Facebook or Instagram. That's, those things aren't really for me. It's more, that's more of a visual thing. Me neither. In my opinion, I'm, I'm, and it's more like, I'm just like, just, you know, people want information from me. You know, I know you, 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 you're, you're more uh, willing to give your opinion on a variety of topics and that's great. And right. I have no issue with that. I personally, you know, for myself, People aren't coming to me asking about politics. Right. I, you know, I don't. I don't like tweeting about politics. I don't like discussing. And, and it's you know, smart. And it, 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 it's a smart way because it's sort of like you give an opinion, and there's the other side is always going to be like stick to poker stuff like right. that. What made you such a big poker fan when you first started? It was just something that I kind of liked, and it wasn't like I wasn't like. A, you know, playing home games like you know in the you know in the basement or anything like that. It was just like something that I kind of like got attached to, and I just started following it. And then just sort of like I uh, just it just sort of grew from there. It was just like I just I was following. It. I was like I liked it. And then it was like you know people were asking about stuff, and it just sort of like like I mean I started I started really following poker in the rec dot gambling that poker days in the late nineteen in the late nineteen uh, nineties, and then it's just sort of. It grew from there to two plus two, and then grew from Twitter, and it was just—it was kind of a really slow process to get to the point where I'm a quote poker celebrity, and I'm being interviewed by you on your podcast. It's—it's. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it's—I mean, it's like it, it definitely wasn't. I wasn't extorted. I—I I, I never expected to get the, I guess, the level of admiration and, and respect that I that, re, that I receive these days. That it wasn't—it wasn't really the the idea when I started really following poker. It was just. I right. felt, you know, it, it, it was this sort of excitement about following the game and watching, you know, watching those ESPN broadcasts and, you know, watching, you know, and then, you know, watching the APTs and, you know, people wanting, asking, asking about stuff. And it was like, I was like something I was like, I'm really, it was like this one thing I'm, I'm never going to be, I'm, I'm always going to be the recreational player that most of the, most of the poker community is. They're, they're very recreational. They're, they're playing for fun. They're not, they're not trying to be a pro. Yep. And I mean, and it's just like, 
and it was my way to help them out. It was a way to help the pros out, and it just it's. I mean, it's just it's just so weird that like like right now I'm I'm here in Vegas. I'm in my room at the Rio, mm-hmm. and you know, like I said, I'm like this was it was just, it's it's kind of. It's kind of weird that I'm doing it. It's just well, like I mean, are they paying you, and are you get the room for oh, yeah. free? Oh, that's great. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's awesome, I've, man. I've, I've been. This is, this is the fourth year I've done this for the worst before. Yeah, oh yeah, they pay me. I make decent money. You know, they, you know, they pay for my room here. Perfect. I get the uh, food, the media food vouchers. Yeah, oh yeah, they take care of me very well here. And, uh, that's great. And I, it's, you know, and it was like it was like one of these things. Like I mean. I, like I said, this is my fourth year doing this for the World Series of Poker. It's mm-hmm. like 2015, like when I was working for Bluff Magazine, mm-hmm. and then like the day after. I remember that the day after Casey Thompson. The day oh, after oh, the no, 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 that was the other one. Yeah, all in was Casey Thompson. Yeah, I remember Bluff. Yeah. Bluff Bluff's pretty big in Europe, right? That magazine still. Uh, well, they're actually separate from the Bluff in the United States. So okay, what happened was so I I worked for Bluff two separate times. So the first time I was working for Bluff, it was basically 2010, so just after the 2011 World Series of Poker. They, they went through Black Friday, and we were kind of limping along there. And, you know, I was there. I was at, I was, that was my first time in Vegas for the summer in 2011. And I felt like I was, like, really good at what I was doing, and then I realized that I was a shitty poker new. I was, I was a shitty reporter. And I sort of, I, I basically got, I got humbled that, during that summer, it was like reporting wasn't really my thing. It was like the we, Twitter we, stuff. We, and other we've all been humbled. Things. We've all had a piece of humble pie. Um, yes, I have uh, probably eaten the biggest piece of humble pie in the whole poker world, uh, which uh, you know it's good and bad. Uh, I look at things. I look back at things. What, what I could have done differently, and uh, so the bitching days for me are are well. I'll still throw a little bitch in there because that's what we about. So poker players do they bitch? So I'm a big proponent. I'm against day two re-entries during the World Series. I think because they're running three tournaments at the same time, I think you should be able to to late reg six levels. Six levels is way more than enough. If you if you're still in another tournament after six levels, uh, you'll just have to miss that tournament and go to the one the next day or the two. There's there's also another one every day. I don't know if you heard about this. So last year, guy bet ten thousand he could late reg the pot limit Omaha and cash it, and he did without playing a hand. Yeah, I think. I mean, like you know, if an event that's starting at eleven or twelve, you know, and they have a dinner break up to level six, I think you know, doing ending late registration at when players return for dinner break seems like a reasonable, absolutely, you know, uh, a reasonable thing at you know for most events now. What is, like for the main event this year is the first time they're doing. Yes. Oh my God. I am such. Target. What you're about to say, I am so against that. Every podcast, I bring it up. Being a, people, being able to buy in day two at the main event is a disgrace. It is a complete blow to the integrity of the main event. Not only do you get to buy in on day two if you want. You get to buy in on day two with a hundred big blinds. What's your opinion? I think, I mean, I don't have as big an issue of people registering for day two of the main event than you do. I mean, I certainly, I certainly understand your point, you know, especially like, it, I think some people take it, 
have issues, it, it feels like it gives the pros more of an edge because the pros are more likely to show up on day two. Like mm-hmm. you said, you're going to have a, you know, you have like a hundred big blinds when you, if you just decide to max weight reg on day two speed with, uh, with a hundred big blinds. Uh, right. I mean, and, you know, in regarding, I mean, I think it would be better if there was less late registration and there was less re-entry events. Right. I don't have it. Like if there's, any, if there's events that have like two flights, I don't, you know, if there's, you know, next day re-entry, mm-hmm. like if you play one A and bust and, you know, you want to play one B. No, on the smaller buy-ins, I don't, buy, I don't mind that either. I, I'm with you on that. Right. No, yeah, I agree. So what, um, I, I asked, uh, Savage this and I'll ask you this, like what you talk to a lot of people, why do people want more chips? Now he said he has to give more chips because the, if not the place down the street is running the same tournament and giving 20,000 more chips, even though we both know it's the same exact thing. What is it that you've heard from people why they want so many chips? Well, I think, I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm sure Matt discussed this with you, you know, he feels, he doesn't feel happy about basically the the phenomenon of awarding more chips. It's basically like people feel that the more chips they have, the more chances they can, you know, if they, if they you know, if they uh, play a hand badly, you know, maybe they don't lose the entire stat. You know, if they had like, let's say instead of 50,000 chips, they had 10,000 chips. They, they mm-hmm. feel that they can make one mistake and then still have a ch- right. answer. If, it, if they do the 10,000 chips in the hand, they're done. And it's like they feel... They didn't get the value that they that they paid for, and so they feel like more chips is more. It's, it's basically it's, it's they feel the more chips you have, the better value it is. But as Matt, has, well, I'm sure Matt told you, it's yeah. more if, if it's it's more the structure of the tournament than the number of chips. He said, you know, he could he could create a great structure for a tournament that starts with 300 chips. Right, and the thing is, is I tell people the story too when when it was chip for chip all the way up until I think 2007, maybe, yeah, or maybe, in two, yeah, 2007 is when they gave a little more of it. So it was always chip for chip. But in reality, when it was chip for chip, it was the exact same thing, but psychologically, they thought they were short. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, definitely. I definitely see that. It's, it's basically... Like you said, it's basically, I think people just envision having more chips mm-hmm. as having more opportunities. And, you know, like I said, if they lose 10%, if they got, if they have a 50,000 chips back and they lose 2,500, you know, it's it's not a big hit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they if they had 10,000 chips back and lost 2,500, they're, mm-hmm. they're feeling, they're under pressure and they got right. moves that they probably would have made if they had more, if they, if they had won those chips and not lost them. Right. So uh, with that in mind, I got one more question for you. So here it comes. Can you reveal your best sources for inside poker information? Uh, wow. So is it, you mean like a, as a person in general or just like a website? Well, it just seems like you always get all the information before anybody else. I mean, Or is everybody else just that stupid? Um, I have to, I mean, to be honest and... I would say there's definitely a lot of people. It's like I direct when I answer a lot of WSP questions, I'm going to the WSP.com site. Uh-huh. You know, for this year, it's WSP.com/slash/2019. You can basically go there, and the, I would say 90% of the questions that people ask, I just go there and just click, the, give them the link, and go from there. Right. I mean, I think there's definitely 
just people just don't understand where information is. And it's kind of like I keep, you know, like I, like I sort of mentioned earlier, it's like I keep answering the same questions. It's mm-hmm. like if people went to my timeline, I basically answered their question already. At yeah, some point in that, in, in that in that 24-hour period, it's like, what's, what's, where's the, uh, you know, what's the structure sheet for this event? Or right. how long is late registration? Or stuff like that. That's, it's, it's kind of what, it's one of yeah. the things that kind of annoys me. I don't blame about, you. About what I do. It's because I'm, I'm giving you this, I'm right. giving you the tool. I usually give people awesome. the tools of where to go. They Poker players are lazy. I watch Twitter yeah. and I watch people say, they, they have a question about a tournament, and the next thing I see that comes up afterwards, it says, tweet Kev Math. He knows the answer. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that on Twitter. And basically, you're right. That's poker players just being too lazy to look it up themselves, and they just figure, you know, you're listen, you're a nice guy. You work hard. Don't let people take advantage of you. You know that, And that's what a lot of people are doing when they do that. Um, you answer a lot of people's questions. I have tremendous respect for that. And you know what? You're a great guy. You're a good person. Uh, Listen, if you've answered it twice already, you're not an asshole if you don't answer it again. You know, uh, me, my answer would be, look at my timeline, bitch. (laughs) That's what I I would be saying. But hey, listen, I love everything you've done for poker. I remember when I first met you and uh, you've come a long ways. You've worked hard to put yourself in the position you're in in the poker world the poker world really cares a lot about you um when i found out that you won a platinum pass i didn't even know what a platinum pass was i had to look it up i was very happy that poker stars did that for you and you're well deserved and i just want to say thank you for everything you've done for the poker world thank you very much you know and that is one of the things that i that i really like about you know about doing this job in the summer it's like i i'll Several times a day, people will come up to me and thank me for what I do. And that's like, that's really one of the things that I really love about this job. It's just, I mean, you know, I'm just, you know, if no one ever, if I, it's nice to get the positive feedback that, you know, people yep. are actually reading your stuff and, and they're taking the information to heart. And it's like, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to do, this is my way. It's, you know, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be a great poker player. I know that. This is like my this is my one way to contribute to the game to some to something that I love so much and I'm just I you know I'm thankful that you know that you you asked me to be on the podcast I'm, mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm like I'm flattered that you wanted to be have to have me on the podcast and uh, I am ex- like I said I'm extremely honored to be a guest well on your on the mouthpiece I'm glad you're here and I, I I'm not just saying it from me I I appreciate it you know. When you say what you said, you know, it, it feels good when people come up to you. I know where you're feeling from because me dealing with all the negativity of the health issues, um, the full tilt issues, the, the venom between me and Daniel for three years, and then starting the podcast and it's a weekend of the World Series and so many people coming up to me saying, you have the greatest podcast in poker. I love the podcast. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. I, I, there's not a podcast goes by I don't listen to. Um, that means a lot to me. So I understand exactly how you feel. All the top poker players have tremendous respect for what you do in the poker world. And 
they all appreciate it. I've heard them say it. And so that should make you feel happy in itself. So I appreciate the interview. Um, And uh, thank you for coming on and go back to work. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Take care. Thank you so much. Peace. No problem. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Yeah, see you tomorrow. The Mouthpiece. I hope you enjoyed episode 12 of The Mouthpiece. And uh, if you're listening to this episode, hopefully I'm still in the Omaha Eight or Better Tournament. If I'm not in, next week episode will be very depressing if I don't jump out a window. So tune in to the mouthpiece next week. Search my channel, Mike the Mouth, at youtube.com and you will be able to get daily video vlog updates from all tournaments on end. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the mouthpiece. There's going to be a lot of live footage from the World Series of Poker. Week number one comes to an end tomorrow, and hopefully I get my first bracelet three days from now. We'll talk to you all later on the mouthpiece. See you soon.